Welcome to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast with April Elliott Kent and me, producer and co-host Jen Brown. Hey friends and welcome, Jen here. And of course, with me in week three of our podcasting relationship is my very delightful friend, astrologer April Elliott Kent. Hi, April. Hello, Jen. Very excellent to be with you. Excellent to be with you. Of course, I see you're reading the show sheet and you see we're going to be talking about relationships because yes, there's a lot. I wanted to just set you up a little bit there. Thank set you. Set you up Thank for you. success. I really appreciate that. Yeah, it's you're my a job pal. here. Uh-huh. <laughs> so we're, we're talking about relationships this week. There's a lot to talk about. But we were going to start out talking about Mercury, right? which went into Sagittarius on the 9th yesterday. And it's going to be in that garrulous sign through the 28th. Mm-hmm. So you you noted when we were talking before about Mercury being out of its shadow period. Right, because it's moving pretty quickly now. Yeah, it's moving pretty quickly. So we're going to take a stab at explaining this shadow period thing because... That would be awesome. As more, yes, as more and more people get to know about Mercury retrograde they'll start to be picking up this kind of language, like about the shadow period and so forth and what does it mean. So Mercury is trucking along and it is, let's say it's not yet retrograde. It turned retrograde this time on the 31st of October at 27 degrees of Scorpio. And it backed up all the way to 11 degrees of Scorpio. Mm-hmm. So what we would say is, as Mercury passed 11 degrees of Scorpio the first time, because that's the degree it's later going to turn direct at. Right. We see it entered its shadow period at that point. And I'm not sure exactly what date that was. I think it was around the 10th or 11th. That sounds about right of October. Yeah. Yeah. So then it sort of entered the shadow period. So it extended, even though it wasn't retrograde yet, it started to kind of behave like it was, or should we say misbehave like it was. Right. Yeah. Then it finally turns direct again. And as it got to 27 degrees, where it originally turned retrograde, then we are free and clear. And that happened a couple of days ago. Yes, went through 27 degrees Scorpio and moved out of its shadow where it initially turned backwards or appeared to turn backwards from our perspective on Mm -hmm. planet Earth. And he's now moving quickly and with energy. I think we managed it. I think we managed it. We did it. We said that very carefully. To try. Well, it's appropriate with Mercury retrograde because we don't know if we're coming or going, really. Because Mercury retrograde can be difficult on communications, can't it? It can. It can indeed. <laughs> and I'm laughing because we had to restart that a couple of times trying to explain <laughs> how difficult Mercury can... retrograde form. That's exactly it. So it was a rough retrograde Mercury. And we talked about that at the time. It really was was very, very difficult. But Mercury going into Sagittarius is always a little bit of a lift. Anything going from Scorpio, where things are very deep and very intense, and we're digging very deep and uncovering a lot of stuff that's a little bit unpleasant some of the times. So anything going from Scorpio into Sagittarius immediately gets this little lift of buoyancy. So Mercury, the planet of communication, moving into Sagittarius means that our style of expressing ourselves it shifts when Mercury changes sign. And it shifts how? Well, it shifts to a more enthusiastic style of expression, a more exuberant and verbose style of expression, 
can you tell that I have Mercury opposed Jupiter in my birth chart? Which indicates what? Well, it's sort of like having Mercury in Sag, and it's the same thing. Why use a small word when you can use a cumbersome, multi-syllabic Love word? Love that. Yeah. Yeah. That's why you can really paint a picture when you speak and when you write. See, now that's very sweet and charitable of you. Well, it's true. I mean, I, I'm not trying to be sweet and charitable, although that's sweet and chari- charitable of you to say so, but... <laughs> Well, I'll take it, however you meant it. But Mercury in Sagittarius is a storyteller as well, and it's how we contextualize things and how we make sense of things. Mm -hmm. So Mercury is said to be in its detriment, I think, in Sagittarius, because it's in the sign opposite the sign that rules. Right. So we know he's at a bit of a disadvantage. And the reason I always, always use the analogy of a funnel when we talk about the combination of Mercury with Sag or with Jupiter or whatever, because the Jupiter side is the big part of the funnel. And there are all these big concepts and ideas that have to get through the tiny aperture at the other end, which is our words. Oh, that's interesting. The things we say. So what happens is you get like a little bit of a clog in the print queue during these Mercury and Sag or Mercury with Jupiter times, because your ideas are too big to be expressed in something as small as words. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, but it's also a fun sign, and it's a fun sign for Mercury. It means we'll laugh more. We've had a heck of a time getting this podcast episode going today because we keep breaking up. But it's fun, and it's a little bit casual. Yeah, Yeah. and, and all of the fire signs, Sagittarius being a fire sign, have that exuberance. And that love of self-expression. And the fire signs are Sag, Leo, and... Oh, don't leave them out. Oh, gosh. They're waiting for you. That's just embarrassing. And they're waiting with knives. They're coming for you, these people. Sag, Leo... Oh, Aries. Thank you. (laughs) You're even wearing red. Aries color I am wearing red, yes. Yeah, so... Oh, God, That should have... Aries is... Aries' (laughs) true color is red, so I should have known that. So there is the danger with Mercury and Sagittarius of being a little too scattered, a little bit too all over the place because you have more ideas than you have hours in the day. Yeah. And it's hard to know what to focus on sometimes. Mm-hmm. And especially since as Mercury has entered Sagittarius, it's approaching a square aspect to Neptune, which it will eventually make. Which will do what? Well, it muddies the waters a little bit again, and that works a little bit like Mercury retrograde. Uh. It's not necessarily the best time for trying to think rationally and in an organized fashion. It's more all over the place, kind of intuitive, expressing itself poetically or artistically instead of verbally, for instance. So none of it's bad, Right. Necessarily. But it just means that while we'll be having a lot more fun communicating <laughs> in the next nice. few weeks. I'll take it. Yeah. We won't necessarily be super organized. It's it's almost like during that long Mercury and Scorpio period, there was so much unearthing, so much to get through and get past mm-hmm. that now it's time for a little bit of a party. Yeah. A little release. Yeah. Mercury and Sag is also super opinionated. Mm. So I'm glad we got this one after Thanksgiving. I see. Which is often a battle zone uh-huh. <laughs> for relatives. for some people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's Mercury and Sagittarius. And, and the reason it's kind of helpful to know where Mercury is at any given time is so that to the best of your ability, you can express yourself in the way that other people will be inclined to understand and appreciate. So if you express yourself with a story or a joke, 
or you express things in terms of the big picture and what it all means. People are a little more inclined to be receptive to that, mm. to a more philosophical approach, perhaps. Yeah. So that's what I was thinking about Mercury going into Sagittarius. Sounds nice. Although the opinionated part could be difficult for some people. But overall, there's going to be a lift. A buoyancy. Yeah. yeah a buoyancy. Well, yeah. opinionated. You know, it's the tone of the times. And uh -huh. everybody thinks they... I'm this way always because I'm Mercury and Leo. I always think I'm an expert about everything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mercury and Sag is a little more that way. But Mercury and Sag actually is kind of... Uh, frustratingly knowledgeable about lots of things. So so we can give them some uh, slack there. Yeah. Mercury's next door neighbor, Venus, is busy this week, April. Venus is up to stuff. Very much up to stuff. What can you tell us? Well, Venus is trucking along through Capricorn. We talked about Venus and Capricorn, I think, in our inaugural episode of this podcast. Mm -hmm. So she's still in Capricorn. And these days, Anything going through Capricorn, as we talked about last week with Jupiter, enters a sketchy neighborhood because eventually they're going to encounter Saturn and Pluto. <laughs> so it's like the sharks and the jets, you know, yeah. snapping their fingers on the street corner. Right. <laughs> That's a West Side Story reference, if anybody it is, is yeah. uh, I'm gonna, wondering. I'm trying not to burst into song here. Wait, which one should we sing? <laughs> Actually. I said we, but I'm only going to let you sing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, leave me out there, Jen. Not actually one of my favorite musicals, so I don't... I was in that musical in high school. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da, be cool, boys. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Saturn and Pluto are like the sharks and the jets, kind of on the street corner and waiting for this lovely young Venus to come strolling by. Uh -huh. So we would tend to think, well, this isn't looking good for Venus, but it's Venus and Capricorn. So we could say this is a girl that grew up around the sharks and the jets. She knows her way around. Oh, yeah. She's mm -hmm. not easily intimidated. Yeah. Because she's a tough cookie. But be that as it may, as Venus comes into a conjunction with Saturn, again, meaning they're the same degree of the same sign, which happens on December 11th, then we know that Venus issues, relationship issues, love, confidence, prosperity, all of these are Venus keywords. So when Venus joins up with Saturn, there is in some sense the idea that we need to take more responsibility for these areas of our lives because Saturn's about responsibility. So taking more responsibility for your money, for your financial situation, for your relationships, uh -huh. and meeting your obligations will make you feel more confident. Usually if we see Venus coming together with Saturn or Saturn in the second house, even Saturn and Taurus, as you have it. All of these combinations of symbols give us similar messages, which is the sense of self is dependent in some way on achievement. And there's the feeling that we have to really earn what's promised in that area of life. So with Venus coming together with Saturn, it's like, well, if I want love, I have to earn it, mm -hmm. is the feeling that we get. Confidence in the sense of confidence has to be earned. We look at some people and we think, wow, they're so confident. They just kind of walk around and they never seem to doubt themselves for a minute. I think some people are that way. Some people are that way. They are. And I envy those people because that is not one of my gifts. <laughs> but but I have Saturn in the second house. And I have Saturn in Taurus. In Taurus. So they're kind of similar. Yeah. And I don't know how exactly how it works for you. But for me, I know it's um, it's a feeling of if something isn't difficult, 
I don't value it. Mm. And I also feel that in order to get a reward, I have to work really, really hard for it. Now, I'm not saying that's truth. I'm saying that's how I'm wired. Yeah. And I think that Venus with Saturn, and it's just, it's a quick transit. We feel it for a couple of days. But if you've been feeling, as we're going into the Christmas season and people are shopping like crazy and all this, if you're having the vague sense of, oh, maybe I shouldn't be spending so much, or maybe I should be buying stuff that's better quality instead of all this crap, or questions of, oh, this person didn't give me anything last year. Am I supposed to give them something this year? It's about equations. Am I giving more than I'm getting? And am I giving more than I have to give? These are kind of Venus-Saturn questions. Wow. And that's on the 11th. Yeah, that's on the 11th. So what we usually say with transits like this is for about the day leading up to the exact aspect. So starting on the 10th Mm -hmm. and for about a day after. So between the 10th and the 12th, this is sort of a, a strong aspect. And then we go right into Venus making a conjunction with Pluto. Yeah, because Saturn and Pluto are very close together right now. They are indeed. What can you tell us about Venus meeting up with Pluto? Well, again, it's a quick aspect. Yeah. It's quite different having Pluto coming along to make an aspect to Venus in your chart. (laughs) Because that'll take Mm. a few years. Mm -hmm. Because Because Pluto moves so slowly. Very agonizingly slowly. But Venus is fast. Venus making a conjunction with Pluto, which is exact on the 13th, brings together the concept of love, money, belongings, and brings into the mix these Pluto concepts, which are pretty heavy. Like what? Well, it can be things like pain, emotional pain, Mm -hmm. a bit of compulsive or obsessive quality, manipulation, power struggles, a preoccupation with money or with a relationship. It's not always negative. Yeah, I was actually just going to ask, what would an example be of something that could come out of it that would be seen as more positive? Because these are heavy topics that you're describing, which Pluto is a heavy heavy planet. He is. And we're not going to soft pedal him, but I will say, again, it's a quick transit. So it's not going to bring anything dreadful. Now, if you have, for instance, I had Pluto by transit oppose my Venus some years ago. And that's when my cat got sick, got diagnosed with diabetes, which is a very Venusian disease. But the upside of that was I bonded with that pet in a way I never had been able to before. Oh. Because I gave her such love, such attention, Uh and basically saved her life. Mm. So what happens when we have Venus coming together with Pluto, because we're aware of The idea that we can lose something that's valuable to us, we appreciate it all the more. Mm. So this might be a couple of days where you're feeling very sad about people that you've lost Uh or really in touch with the fact that even if you're going through something in your life with people that you love, that's real difficult. Isn't it wonderful that you have such love? Yeah. Pluto's like an exclamation mark that we put at the end of things. So ideally... When another planet joins together with Pluto, we get an accentuation of that planet's energy. So it's Venus with an exclamation point. It's not just, oh, I really love you. It's, I love you. (laughs) This is really intense. Uh And the only way we get to that level of intensity in a relationship, usually, 
is through the things that we go through together that are a little bit trying. Which sounds like a very much, I guess I was going to say earthbound struggle, but aren't they all really? Yeah, going back to our first episode where we were talking about the reason that we use a geocentric chart to describe the universe. It's all our deal. I loved seeing those NASA photos of Pluto, though, and we can put a link to that in the show Mm -hmm. notes with that big heart on the planet that we never knew was there. So here's this really sort of what's seen in astrology as a planet that can really be trying. And there's that big heart on Pluto. Yeah, it really is true that you don't realize what something means to you until you lose it. And that's what Pluto teaches us at best. Now, it's never a happy process to lose something that you really love. Yeah. But it does put things into bold relief. And you can take a note from that and start looking at what's around you that you can appreciate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and what you love and what's really meaningful to you. Mm-hmm. So I would say, generally speaking, if you're in a relationship, any kind of relationship in your life, this week's a little bit of a turning point, not only because of these Venus aspects, but because of the full moon on the 11th. Uh, uh Well, can you tell us about that? Well, full moons are by their nature relationship oriented. And that's because the sun and the moon stand in opposition to each other. And the sun and the moon, we would say, are the symbols of the two people in the relationship. It's the part of us that gives and the part of us that receives. Hmm. So having them in opposition to each other, as they are at every full moon, says that there's nothing to impede our view of the other person. We're seeing each other very clearly. It's revealing. All is revealed at the full moon. Just go outside and look. You can see everything. Mm. So full moons are always kind of pivotal when it comes to a relationship. And this particular full moon is square Neptune, a planet of, of love as well. And Venus is leading up to that conjunction to Saturn and Pluto. So it's really a heck of a full moon relationship wise. So this week is really pivotal. It's a real tipping point. So if you're in a relationship that's really been struggling, that you know you're not in it for the long haul or that the other person isn't, where you're constantly feel feeling underappreciated and rejected for the essence of who you are, if you're feeling that there's too much manipulation or there are power struggles or one person's really obsessed with the other person, it's probably a toxic relationship. And this is a week when you're probably inclined to realize that it's going to be time to move on. But if you're in a good relationship, you know, a week like this is not going to kill a good relationship. No, no. But if there are things that have been simmering under the surface, let's face it, they are in most relationships. You know, we're just trying to get through our days doing our jobs and feeding the pets and getting the tires rotated on the car. (laughs) We don't have time every day to get super intense and deep and you really go through all the relationship stuff. Uh But then you get a week like this and it's like, oh yeah, we've kind of been needing to deal with that little issue, haven't we? Mm -hmm. And it leaps out in a week like this one. It's really interesting to think about how you described the new moon, planting seeds in the dark, the first quarter moon, a time to take action. And here comes the revelation. Yeah. That you really see what's growing in your garden. Mm -hmm. And there's no hiding from it either. The full moon is not a restful phase. As you know, if you've ever tried to sleep on the night of a full moon without proper curtains on your windows. Yeah. 
So everything is revealed. And that's a good thing because it's always better to be informed, know what's going on. This is a full moon in the sign of Gemini. So the sun's over there in Sagittarius still doing its thing, saying, yeah, let's have a let's have a great adventure. Let's do things that are new. Let's go forth with great optimism. And the opposition between Gemini and Sagittarius doesn't seem as stark on its surface as the polarity between some other signs. Okay. They seem to have a lot in common. They're both very communicative. They're both very cerebral. But they're really coming from a very different place because Gemini gathers data and Sagittarius creates scholarship from that. So it takes those little details and it says, well, what does that really mean? Gemini, just as an archetype, could not possibly care less about what it all means. It's like, <laughs> oh, words. This is exciting. Let's see what we can do with these. So, and it, you know, about communication as well. So I would say at this full moon, there is, there's probably some information that you didn't have, which now comes to light. Because oh. Gemini is information. I see. And uh, Mercury will have just moved into Sagittarius. Yeah. So that means the ruler of Gemini, Mercury, is in Sagittarius. It's opposite sign. Uh -huh. So who do you think is having the advantage at this full moon? Well, Sag. Yeah. It's yeah. all going back to Sag. So it's all big picture stuff. And Neptune's in the middle saying, can't we all just get along? <laughs> <laughs> I hate it when mom and dad fight. <laughs> yeah, that's Neptune. Well, and Mars is going to try Neptune. So Mars, you know, every planet has something to do with relationship. But if we really want to boil it down to the four most important archetypes, we would say it's the sun and moon and Venus and Mars. Venus and Mars are more that erotic side of relationship mm -hmm. than just strict compatibility. So Venus and Mars are about the things that get us interested enough in another person to want to find out if there's compatibility there and see if we want to have a relationship. So we already talked about Venus coming together with Saturn and Pluto, which is really big. But Mars, the other side of that equation, is going to be connecting with Neptune, and that's on December 13th. Okay. So Mars is action-oriented. And Venus says, here's what I want. And Mars goes, fine, I'll go get it for you. Mm, interesting. So Mars trying Neptune says, we'll get the things that we want most easily if we approach them in a Neptune way. So Mars is in Scorpio. They're both water signs. They're both water signs. So they kind of get each other. Uh -huh. And Mars in Scorpio is very, very strong. Its inclination is just to go for the jugular. But trying to Neptune softens it. I see. And it says, act on faith, act on intuition. And that's Neptunian. That's Neptunian. And that takes us back to that first quarter moon you talked about last week, which was in Pisces. Uh -huh. So it's also about being willing to fight, which is Mars, for the things that you believe in, which is Neptune. Mm. And having opportunities to do that just kind of fall in your lap. That's the trine. A trine is an easy aspect. It brings things to us without us trying. Opportunities appear. Yeah, opportunities I think of more as a sextile because a sextile requires you to make some effort to realize its benefits. And a sextile is a difference of 60 degrees. Correct. So it would be between planets and signs that are compatible by element, for instance, so a water sign with an earth sign. Mm -hmm. uh, but a trine, they're both in the same element. As you said, these are both water. And how would you describe water as an element? Water is about intuition, grasping things that aren't visible. 
it's a little bit psychic. And that's what I would say about the water signs. Mm -hmm. So if we're talking about Mars in a water sign, we're saying, you know, with all of the water signs, with Mars and all the water signs, they have to go about things in a way that is a little less obvious and in your face. If you look at the symbols for all of the water signs, Cancer, Scorpio, and Pisces, mm -hmm. at least two of them have protective armor. <laughs> Cancer and Scorpio. the crab. Mm -hmm. Scorpio's the scorpion. Yeah. Pisces is the fish. And the fish is the only one that's really unprotected. It's got, um, what do you call them? Those thingies? Tails. Oh. No. Fins. <laughs> Scales. 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 Ding, ding, we hit it. Yes, scales. we have a winner. So they have scales, which doesn't do a lot to protect them. But what they have is their wily ability to get away. Right, they're fast. They're, yeah, they're fast and they're really good escape artists. Uh-huh. So, yeah, so that's water signs. Yeah. You know, water can definitely kill people. I mean, water, water gets the last word. Yeah. Because nothing can stand up to water. Eventually, water is going to wear it down. The Grand Canyon as one example. Yes. So Mars with Neptune says, know that you're playing a long game here. It's not all necessarily going to get resolved tomorrow if you're fighting for something important to you. Uh -huh. If you're frustrated about something. Uh -huh. If you're angry and you want to do something to resolve that situation, just know that it's going to take a while. But that if you feel strongly enough about it, yeah. <laughs> eventually you can you can wear it down. Be in it for the long haul. Mars with Neptune is also kind of a, a romantic thing as well, though. I think anytime somebody is going to get involved in a romantic relationship, Neptune has got to be on the scene. Mm. Because there has to be that moment when you choose, or it happens in some alchemical way, choose to believe that this person is magical. That there has never been anything like this person. And you cannot believe your good luck that they like you. Uh -huh. So it's that moment we suspend disbelief and we choose to think, oh, my God, this is this person hung the moon. So that's the Neptune quality. So Mars coming together with Neptune this week, I think, also gives us that opportunity to possibly fall in love, possibly re-fall in love. It's like we go through this thing of Venus with Pluto. And the full moon, and we put all our cards on the table, and we resolve some issues that have need of resolving. Mars trying Neptune comes along to say, we can still have a loving relationship. Yeah, because that's all happening on the same day, the 13th. Yeah. Right? It's quite the day. It's quite wow. the day. And that's a Friday, I believe. So that's, yes. mm -hmm. that's Venus's day. That's Freya's day. Let me just say a couple of things about Friday the 13th since we're talking oh, about this. Oh, please do. Yes. Because Friday the 13th has a horrible reputation. I know you were talking to me about it. I was the other day, yeah. And it's a sacred day because the number 13 is sacred to the moon. There are 13 lunar cycles to a year. Yeah. And Friday is sacred to Venus. So it's the goddess's day and it's the day of love. It used to be that on Friday the 13th, people would make love all day. That was, you know, in... That was the thing. That was the thing. That's That was the done thing. Uh -huh. And if one has the time and uh, a willing partner and the stamina, go for it. But I'll be planning a party for that night, so. <laughs> <laughs> which is really great for yeah. Friday the 13th, really. Absolutely. Yeah. So as with all things, uh, sometimes the 
the powerful feminine. Mm -hmm. It is vilified and made evil. I found that a lot of people that I know don't know that history Mm -hmm. with Friday the 13th, with there being 13 moon cycles every year, the moon being associated with the feminine. Yeah. And also, I've also found that a lot of people don't know that each day of the week, because you just mentioned, April, that Friday is Venus's day. Mm-hmm. Well, Sunday is the sun's day. Mm-hmm. Monday is moon, the moon's day. Mm-hmm. Tuesday, which if you speak Spanish or French, it would sound more similar to Mars, Martes. Mm-hmm. Wednesday is Mercury's day, Miércoles mm-hmm. in Spanish, <laughs> which sounds similar. Not so much Wednesday. doesn't sound like Mercury in English. but Yeah, Wednesday is Wednesday, so it's Woden's day. So oh. it's, yeah. And Tuesday is Tuesday, T-E-W-S. So these go back to the Norse legends. Interesting. Yeah. Thursday's Jupiter. Yes. Jueves. Mm-hmm. And don't forget Saturday. Sabado, Saturn. <laughs> what day of the week were you born on, Jen? Again, you should know this. <laughs> no, I know the date. I'm talking about the day of the week. I think it was a Thursday. Oh, isn't that nice? It was a Thursday. Oh. And you were born with Jupiter rising right on the I was born ascendant. on a Thursday with Jupiter rising mm-hmm. over the eastern horizon. You were a Libra who really wanted to be a Sag. Why do you say that? Well, because you were born on Jupiter's day. You've got Jupiter rising. Jupiter rules Sagittarius. Yeah. Yeah, I see. I was, of course, what born day on were... Satur- Saturday. <laughs> Saturn's <laughs> day. <laughs> I've got a really strong Saturn. He's got a lot to answer for. <sighs> I remember writing an article about Nose that Nose to the grindstone. Time. Yeah, nose to the grindstone. Always working really hard. and You wrote an article about that? Yeah, a long time ago. Oh, we'll link that the... in the show notes. Yeah, well, if I can find it. I'm not sure it's online. It was... Something I did for one of those Llewellyn anthologies that I I was writing for for a while. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. You know what? I think I do have it on my website some more, so I'll send you the link. Okay. Great. Yeah. So that's Venus and Mars. And then finally, we have Jupiter, which is now, of course, in Capricorn, making a trine to Uranus on the 15th. 120-degree angle. Which is nice. And what can you tell us about that, if Jupiter's trining Uranus? Let's start with Jupiter being in Capricorn again, because we talked last time about how this is like, you know, stick stick Falstaff or Santa Claus in a three-piece suit and see them squirm a little bit. And yeah. Jupiter and Capricorn can be a little restrained, you know, we, he's a, he lives in mortal fear of becoming stodgy. But when Jupiter trines Uranus, all bets are off. Why is that? Well, it's an inspiring planet. <laughs> it's an unpredictable planet. We don't know quite what he's going to throw at us, even though he's in Taurus and has some restraints of his own. So I think it's a, it's a great time of inspiration and new things coming up. Jupiter is triggering the degree of the upcoming solar eclipse on Christmas, which is Ooh. at four degrees of Capricorn. Okay. And we'll talk a lot about that probably in next week's podcast. So awesome. Jupiter is like the advance team that's, you know, sounding the alert for that eclipse and saying, look what is happening in this area of your life because you're about to get an eclipse there. Oh, wow. So Jupiter is the herald. So on the 15th, things might happen that we're then seeing the echoes of that on December 25th. Yeah, because the solar eclipse will also be trine Uranus. You know, so Uranus is always the wild card, and we don't know exactly what he's going to throw at us. But having Jupiter together with Uranus, if you're wanting to do anything of a Jupiterian nature, if you're wanting to take a trip, or you've had some big project you want to embark on, 
that's a really great day for it with Jupiter trying Uranus because it says, yeah, the, the gods of inspiration are on your side and you don't know necessarily where the inspiration is going to come from. Hmm. Wow. Because it's Uranus. I read something in the newspaper that made me think of Uranus and Taurus, which is there's an invention now of these earbuds that you can put in and you can speak to someone who's speaking another language to you. And through the earbuds, it will be automatically translated into your language. Oh, my God. Isn't that something? That is so great. Yeah. How exciting. Do you, there was a sitcom called Better Off Ted. Did you ever see it? No, I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. It's on Hulu. I think they have the episodes on Hulu or something. It is hilarious. But there was a whole episode because it's it's about this big conglomeration, this big corporation that does all these, you know, crazy inventions and stuff. Mm -hmm. And one of them exactly was that. They had these headphones you could put on. Yeah. And translate, you know, but yeah. Hilarity ensued. Yeah. <laughs> As you can imagine. Well, my wife said, uh, is it going to be like when, when Siri's trying to understand something I'm saying? <laughs> no, Siri. Are you using one of those gizmos in your house? Uh, well, just our iPhones. You, know, oh, you can okay. speak into your iPhone and send a text or whatever. Yeah, which I do all the time. Yeah. But do you have any one of those, one of those scary robot things? I do not. No, no. Do you? Neither. No, yeah. it seems like such a bad idea. <laughs> That's so funny because I think the same thing. <laughs> but we have Scorpio stuff. So we're like, no. Don't trust no. it. <laughs> no, not even. That isn't going to happen. Yeah, that's very... What's your Scorpio? I've got Scorpio. I've got Neptune and Scorpio in the 12th house, but it squares everything in my chart. Oh. It squares my Leo stuff. It squares my Jupiter and Aquarius. He's mm -hmm. he's hiding in the 12th house, but he makes himself known. Yeah. And I've got the moon square Pluto, which is kind of Scorpionic. Because Pluto is the co-ruler of Scorpio. Yeah, it's considered the modern ruler. The modern ruler, yeah. Of Scorpio. Although we'd normally use Mars, which is the traditional ruler. So, yeah, there's Scorpio stuff there. But no, I'm not going to have you listening to my conversations <laughs> in my house. That just seems wrong. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I'm embarrassed to have private conversations with a cat in the room. I don't think I'm going to get Alexa involved. <laughs> oh, Spike, cover your ears. I know. You don't want to hear this, buddy. You don't want to hear this. <laughs> Oh, well, is there anything else you think that we need to cover on this? No, I think we've I think we've covered quite a lot. There's a lot going on this week, and I yeah. think we'll leave it there. Yeah, and then we'll gear up for news of the big eclipse. Actually, next week we're going to be talking really about that last quarter moon, but I'm going to be start starting to get people into the groove, the eclipse groove, because there will be a lot to talk about. Oh, good. And just so everyone knows, April is an expert on eclipses. <laughs> I would say they are an astrological passion of mine. I would say she's an expert. Yeah. Well, thank you. That's yeah. your job is to blow my horn because I'm, <laughs> I'm an uncharacteristically shy Leo in that way. But yeah, so we will talk about that quite a lot in the next couple of podcasts. And for now, we will just thank you for listening. And we hope that you have a splendid week. And we hope that you can be with the one you love or at the very least love the one you're with. <laughs> and we will see you again next Tuesday. And until then, keep your feet on the ground and your eyes on the stars.
Thank you for listening. To learn more about April Elliott Kent, please check out her website, BigSkyAstrology.com, where you can sign up for her newsletter, read her thought-provoking weekly essays, purchase her books, sign up for a personal astrology reading, and more. That's all for today. If you like what you're listening to, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast and hit subscribe to stay current with new episodes. You can follow Big Sky Astrology on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Big Sky Astrology. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you.